0: Keep your Bibles open, and if you would, Mark uh, John fifteen. I think some of you may have looked at John fifteen for Sunday school, and uh, we're going to look over there during the actually during the introduction of uh, today's message. Press on, press on. So let's just pause for a minute and uh, just prepare our hearts to hear what the spirit will speak through his word to each of us today father we bow our hearts and our heads uh, before you today we thank you for this season this time of year that we especially reflect on the mission of redemption of our lord jesus christ we thank you God for the uh, way in which we can set this time aside Lord and really meditate and really remember the suffering of Christ and the passion of Christ the pathway of Christ the way in which Christ has redeemed us and rescued us the only way we could be rescued through his willing substitutional sacrifice. And so, Father, as we approach this text and we understand the goal and the focus of the Christian life and we understand why, and we also understand, Lord, that there are so many obstacles within us and without us, Lord, that uh, distract us. And that uh, pull us away from what our center should be, what our affection should be, what our purpose and goal in life should be. And Lord, so for that, we just ask God that you would once again do a work of grace in our hearts. You are so good to do so each and every day, and, and we need it. We need that daily bread, that daily grace so we ask you once again lord to speak to us today father as as we look to your precious word as as we hear it being explained and applied we we ask god that your spirit would would work beyond the preacher this morning beyond his ability beyond his words beyond his thoughts and that your spirit would powerfully and wondrously and beautifully make the application and the transformation, the edification, the conviction, the change that needs to take place for each and every one of us. We marvel, Father, at who you are and at your plan of salvation and how you accomplished it. And we ask God now that this would be a special Time in in our spiritual life and our walk with Christ. And we ask it in His name. Amen. Press on. Paul's life ambition is to know Christ. We learned that two weeks ago from our previous text. Remember from verse 8, which is now our. Treasure verse for the month. I I count everything. I count everything. That's the good, the bad, and everything in between. I count everything as loss. Everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There's something far better than everything else that so far surpasses everything, it it makes everything else look as nothing. And so Paul says, the goal of my life, the aim of my affections is Christ, nothing else. I want to know him. I do everything I do in order that, verse 10, that I may know him. And we understand that he's not referring to some casual acquaintance with Christ. For Paul, Christ is far more than just a Sunday Savior. And he's not even referring to knowing Jesus in kind of the minimum sense of conversion, of new birth, of, of knowing Jesus as coming to know Jesus as Savior. Remember, Paul's conversion was the Damascus Road experience that Damascus Road encounter with the living Lord and it was after that very dramatic conversion experience of Paul meeting the Lord the risen Lord appearing to Paul it was after this dramatic new birth experience that Paul writes these words in Philippians 3 that essentially he says, My whole life is wrapped up with this one purpose, that I may know him. Now, what Paul means in verse 10 is that is that after we come to know the Lord as our Savior and, and He dwells within us through the Spirit, we we have this unbelievable and and thrilling possibility and potential. For an ever-growing, deeper, personal relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who walks with us, who lives within us, we, we can grow to know him in a very intimate, close, personal relationship. Such that our union with Christ, we, when we come to Christ, we are, we are made one with Christ. We are at union with Christ. And, and that union can become so sweet that, that, that we begin to understand the heart of our Savior. We, we begin to understand the thought of our Savior. We, we begin to see the glory of our Savior in all things. So as far as possible on this side of glory we we get to know him. Now Paul is not making this up. Paul is not this is not just some kind of spiritual wishful thinking for Paul. Jesus actually spoke this way to his followers when he was here on the earth. And that's why I wanted us to flip back to John 15 and and look at these words. And hear the invitation of Christ to that deeper personal communion and fellowship with him. Jesus speaks these words to his followers. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit already you are clean because of the word that i have spoken to you already you are mine already i have cleansed you already you are the children of god i cleaned you through my word i cleansed you the word of the gospel But then listen to verse 4. This is something beyond that. This is something more than that. This is something closer than that, more intimate than that. Jesus says, abide in me. I've cleansed you. You're clean. You're forgiven. You're saved. Abide in me. And I in you. We don't get anywhere in this spiritual life without Christ. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers the, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and, and my words, my words, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Listen to these words. Contemplate this. Just go home for the whole week and contemplate verse 9. As the Father has loved me. Think about that. For eternity, the perfect love of the Father to the Son. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. That's an invitation to something we haven't tasted yet. To something we haven't known yet. We haven't walked through yet. We haven't learned yet. We haven't rejoiced in yet. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, all this abiding talk. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, the joy of the Lord, and that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. Now back with me to Philippians 3. Now I don't know if Paul had the words of John 15 in his mind when he writes Philippians 3, but he certainly had the spirit of it. He certainly had the meaning of those words in his mind. Jesus would say to his followers, I, I, I've, got, I've got heaven for you in the, in the life to come we've got the hope of the gospel the hope of the risen savior but but in the meantime in this life right here right now you can have so much more of christ christ says abide in me abide in my love let my words abide in you you can know me now in, in, in a wondrous, rapturous fellowship. And Paul says, if, if Christ offers that to me now, I want to know him. I want to know him. <coughs> so the message from this passage this morning is press on. Why we press on? Let's look at this passage a little more cl- carefully and closely why we press on on verse 12 first Paul says I don't know him yet to that degree that I'm talking about in verse 10 so in verse 12 he says not that I have already obtained this I I don't really I don't know him as much as I can know him or or I'm already perfect I I don't I don't know him and, and I won't know him to the degree that I will know him in glory But in that meantime, I'm not there yet, but I can can know him far more than I already do. So I'm I'm going to keep pressing on to know him as far as possible for me to know him. I want to press on, he says, to make it my own. I want to know this. I I want this fellowship with Christ. I want to be walking with my Savior in this intimate, close way. I want to understand my Savior. I I want to know his heart. I I want to be like him. I want to walk with him. I want to know him for myself like like others have known him. He said, I press on to make it it my own. I've heard of others that have this sweet communion with the Lord. I want this sweet communion. Maybe he was thinking about Moses... Over in Exodus thirty-three, eleven, the Bible says, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Can you imagine that? The Lord of glory, the Lord of the universe used to speak to Moses like a man speaks to his friend. A very close, confident communion with the Lord. Paul says, I want to make it my own. But wait a minute, Paul, you you already know Christ is Savior and and, and you know that that means one day you'll know him in his fullness. One day you will know Christ in his fullness. You, You will know all of his glory in heaven. So why such effort? Why such urgency to pursue this personal communion with christ now why why are you pressing in this life it's almost like paul anticipates that question that 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 some would say just take it easy paul just coast paul you you've got it made paul you you've got heaven your your sins are forgiven you're you're worrying yourself too much just enjoy eat drink and be merry for tomorrow you will go to heaven Live your life. Do what you want to. You've got eternity for all of that. You'll get to know Jesus one day. Why are you pressing? He almost anticipates that question because of the way that he reasons in verse 12. I I press on to make it my own because, here's his motivation, Christ Jesus has, has made me his own. Some translations say I, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has also taken hold of me. I like the way the ESV says it here because Christ Jesus has made me his own. In other words, I I hear Paul saying, Christ Jesus has made me me his own in other words what else would i be doing in this life but getting to know him what else is worthy of my attention what else is worthy of my affection what else is worthy of my pursuit and of my passion and purpose than to know this one who made me his own why paul well You remember Paul says in verse 6, I persecuted his people. I was the one. I went around and and I authorized and I took part in having Christ's people beaten and imprisoned and martyred and slain. And that Savior took me for his own. The very God who I worked so hard to deny The very God who I worked so hard to silence and and obliterate from the earth, instead of obliterating me as I deserved, he pursued me. He revealed himself to me. He spoke to me. He, He transformed my entire life. He showed me the truth. He brought me into light. He raised me from my deadness and sins. The the God who had every right to slay me saved me. I want to know Him. I want to get to know that God, that risen Savior. This is almost like Paul says Do you even ask the question? Are you serious? If the God of the universe showered me with such grace and, and gave me a new heart and opened my blinded eyes and loved me when I hated him, then what else is there for me to do? Really, what else in this life is more important? What, what is of more urgency? What can bring more joy? And, and what can bring more satisfaction in the world than to know that God with all that I can know him? And you know what? Paul's testimony is our testimony. God loved us when we gave no thought to him at all. If it was nothing more than a religious thought. When we were our own God, when we were doing our own thing, when we sat upon the throne of our hearts, he pursued us. He pursued us. You didn't chase God down. He chased you down. He drew you. He compelled you. Me. Out of the darkness. Not because of anything truly good in me. Just purely from his grace. Just to magnify his grace. Just to show that he's a gracious, compassionate, long-suffering, patient God. When I was his enemy, when I was convinced I didn't need him because I was convinced I had him. When I was convinced I was good with him. When I was convinced me and God were okay. God and I are on the same page. He's doing what I want. We're pretty good right now. When I was his enemy... He opened my eyes to the truth. He opened my ears to hear. He opened my heart to believe. Listen, the God who needed nothing. God needs nothing. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. We're not required for his glory. We're not required for his existence. We depend on him for the next breath, the next breath. That God pursued me in my sin. He was lacking in nothing and he brought me to life. I didn't contribute anything to him. I didn't make him more God. He brought me to life just to bring me to life. Just so that for age upon age upon age upon age, I might glorify him for his grace demonstrated in a sin sick dead heart. Paul says, I want to know him. the one that delivered me out of despair and out of hell. I want to know him. Especially when I didn't do anything to earn it, anything to merit it. So Paul answers for us the question, why we press on? And then he answers a very another important question, how we press on. How we press on. In verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So again, he says, I haven't gotten there yet. I'm still pressing. But one thing I do. I love how Paul can boil all this complexity of the Christian life down to this. But one thing I do. It really is simple. It's not complicated. It's not reserved for the super spiritually elite. It's for the average regular Christian believer who's living day to day with fairly no recognition, no applause, no one. No one hardly knows their existence or their name. They're they're just in this life for the glory of God. You don't have to know a lot. You don't have to know a lot to live this life for God and His glory. You don't have to achieve a lot. You don't have to do many things. You don't have to be in front of people. You don't have to climb a certain ladder. You don't have to get to a certain stage. It really is simple. One thing I do. To know the Lord in this sweet friendship and fellowship in this life, it just comes down to one thing. Now, the imagery here is a race. This pressing on and toward the prize and the goal and and all of this is Paul is imagining a runner, right, In, in a race, and so when he says this, this, this one thing I do, he, he, he's talking about us being in this race of this Christian life, this race of, of faith, he, and, and he's running. But as you're running, as you're doing that one thing, as you're running, you're doing two things at the same time, right? You're leaving things behind. As you run, you're leaving things behind, and you're entering into new territory. And that's what Paul says. That's a Christian life. There's one thing I do. I'm pressing on, I'm running, I'm doing this one thing, I've got my focus on Christ. And here's what he says. As we are pursuing Christ in this life, it is necessary to leave territory behind and run into new territory. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind is absolutely essential and necessary for you To have sweet communion with Christ and grow in close fellowship with your Lord and Savior in this life, you have to forget what lies behind. You have to let the past go. You have to forget where you've been and focus on where you're going. One of the things you have to forget is the glory days back when things were so good, back when, back when you were around so many good things, back when so many things were happening at the church, back when this, back when that, back when that, back when back, back. quit looking back. You got to forget that. That was yesterday. That was 10 years ago. That was 50 years ago. Let it go. Forget it. Or you'll never see what's in front of you. You'll never see what's in front of you if you're always looking back. Let it go. Forget those past achievements. Related to that would be a second category. Leave behind everything in our past that was all about me. Leave all the meanest behind. Remember Paul's, we, we just read in, in, uh, earlier, studying through this passage, Paul's seven spiritual credentials, he lists them in verses 5 and 6 of this chapter. When Paul's world was all about Paul, boy, he was great, wasn't he? I mean, he was at the top of his class. He was Mr. Number One on the spiritual list. But he says in verse 7, whatever gain I had, whatever was about Paul... Whatever Paul did, whatever Paul achieved, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. What? For the sake of Christ. Forget what lies behind. That's what Paul said. I got to forget that. I got to forget those spiritual credentials, those spiritual achievements when the world revolved around me. I've got to forget that. That was old Paul. That was old Will. That's the old life. When I was the center of the universe, when, when I was earning my way to heaven, when I was making my own checklist, for, forget that. Let the past go. It's not about me anymore for the sake of Christ. And if I don't forget me, if I don't deny myself, self will suddenly and, and eventually slip back into the center of my world. And rather than running toward Christ, I'll end up running backwards into me. This is the greatest obstacle on our path of intimacy with Christ is our self. We're bumping into our self. We're the hurdle that we can't jump over. Forget what lies behind. That's self. Deny self. Pick up the cross. Follow Christ. Here's another thing we've got to forget when we talk about forgetting what lies behind. We've we got, we got to forget our sins in the past. Some of us are not struggling about self. We can't get over self. Some of you can't get over you. It's still about you. You still come to church. You still serve at church, but it's still about you. You're the limelight. You're the spotlight. You got to get over that. You got to put that in the past where it belongs. You got to bury that old man. But some of you, we, we have to get by the sins we've committed in the past we got to forget what lies behind. You know, Paul says in verse 6, I was a persecutor of the church. That's a big one, isn't it? But well, Paul understands my past life of sin does not define my new life in Christ. That's not who he is now. And our adversary, the devil, you know, he's our accuser. He loves to remind us of our past, doesn't he? He loves to remind us of our sinful failures, our sinful mistakes, and he loves to take those things and keep us from progressing in our faith, from pursuing Christ, from growing in christ likeness. He loves to wear us down and beat us down with those things, and we stop running and we stop pursuing Christ because we can't get over what we've done in our past. we have to let those sins go because christ has cleansed us from those sins that's what good friday that's what makes good friday good we've all got a multitude of sins that we've committed but there's usually one that really sticks out for paul it was that he persecuted the sons and daughters of god can you imagine that for us it may be a a hateful act that we committed against someone. It may be a horrible addiction that we've had in the past or that we keep secret today. It may be a hurtful word that we have spoken and we know we crumbled someone but we've justified it over the... We can't get over it. We can't get past it but we keep justifying it. It might might be a lustful pursuit that ruined us but whatever it is back in the past it stands tall in our past and it tells us anybody who's done anything like that anybody who said anything like that can never know the lord you can never know the lord i mean when you go to grassy pond and you sat in that church and you look around you everybody else has it all together but you (laughs) that's his biggest lie everybody else they they've never done what you've done they've never said what you've said And you can pretend all you want to, but you're not gonna make it. Christ doesn't love you, you're not walking with Him. If you are in Christ, can I give you some good news today? Can I give you some set you free news today? The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 14 that if you are in Christ, that record of sin that you carry, that burden of sin that you carry, that weight of sin that you carry, Christ nailed it to the cross. It's done. It's over. You are new in him. Forget what lies behind. That was the past self. That was the old self. We need to forget the glory days and look for new glory days. We need to forget the me in the past. We need to forget the sins we've committed in the past. Here's another big one we need to forget the sins that have been committed against us in the past. That's huge. That's huge. You will never know an intimate, close, sweet fellowship with Christ as long as you keep clinging to what others have done to you and what others are still doing to you. That's a big one. Because sometimes you don't see justice, do you? You don't see it immediately. You don't see it in this life. You don't see right. You see people talking about you that just keep talking about you. False accusation. I mean, you you see it, you feel it. It's all around you. It might be abuse. It might be abandonment in your past. It might be neglect. It might be rejection. It might be betrayal. It might be harsh words. It might be gossip. It might be slander. But it's sins that have been committed against you, not the sins that you've committed, but sins that have been committed against you. And because of those things done to you, they try their best to convince us you're not loved, you're not worthy, you're not anybody, you're not anything, you're not God's child. It tries to convince us that our lives are meaningless as garbage. You're just a throwaway. Nobody loves you. But Christ says, go back to John 15 and hear the words of the eternal Son of God. Memory says, Let my words, let my words abide in you. Listen to what Jesus says. Abide in me. You can convince yourself that nobody else wants you, but you can't convince Jesus that he doesn't want you. Abide in me. Christ is yours today. So Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, and there's a lot to forget, right? Right? And straining forward to what lies ahead. Now, this is where it gets really simple because there's only one thing Paul's been talking about. It's a person. It's Christ. Straining, that is with every fiber breathing deep in my lungs, straining, running with every muscle I can, forward, straining forward to what lies ahead. What lies ahead? Christ. (laughs) Christ in his fullness, Christ in his glory, Christ in his presence. Paul says, just keep a steady eye on Christ and run. Run to him. Let everything else go. Forget the past. Think about this day and think about forever and run to him. That's how we press on. Lastly, the goal of pressing on in the final verses of this passage. The goal, right, is the finish line. Paul says, I press on, verse 14, I press on toward the goal, toward the goal. So the goal is the finish line. That's that's the way all races are run. There's a finish line. There's a goal that you got to get to, that you got to make it to. Paul says, press on to the goal. Finish the race. So for some of us this morning, the message is get back in the race. You know, our runners in a the race, they have, this, they, they have a number, right, that they wear. Put, put your number back on. Get up off of the sidelines and get in this race. Don't let this life go by without all that you can have in Christ. Run. Christianity is more than just a starting line. This is what we have to understand in the evangelical church. We have to understand that Christianity is more than just a starting line. It's more than just entering into the kingdom and the new birth. It's more than just a sinner's prayer and baptism. It's not over when you're born again. It's just beginning when you're born again and it's a race it's a fight it's a it's a marathon of this life there is a race to run and there is a finish line to cross listen many many start many start the race or they appear to start the race but they don't finish they don't finish many don't make it past a month Some don't make it past six months or a year. Some seem to make it all the way up to the end and they're in their senior years, their golden years, and then they just completely drop the ball and just stop running. And they're almost there. They're literally a couple of steps away and they turn to everything else but Christ. Paul says, I press on toward the goal. There's a finish line. Some don't finish and some don't finish well. I mean, they finish, but boy, they stagger and and limp across. I I pray. I have a list of ministers that I pray for on Sunday, a notebook page full, double columns of guys that I know in the ministry ministry. And every Sunday I pray for them and their ministries and their marriages and their children and their, and their preaching. And I pray that God help us to finish well. And not just finish well, but help us run well. Man, we've, we've got a lot of running left to do. I guess my race may be over this afternoon, but as long as I'm still here, I've got some running left to do. Because when you reach the goal, when you reach the finish line, Paul says, I, I press on toward the goal for the prize. There's a reward, right? When you, when you finish the race, there's a reward. And for this particular race, it's not just a first prize, second prize, third prize, and everybody else, you get a ribbon. For this race, it's if you finish this race, there is a great reward, there is a prize. There's a reward for the runners that finish. The prize is Jesus. You see, you, you run, you run, you run, you run, and you blink your eyes for one moment in this life and open your eyes and run right into the arms of Jesus. That's the, that's the Christian life. You just run, 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 bam, right into the arms of Jesus. He welcomes you home. And he says, as you collapse in his arms because you're out of breath from all the running, right? Well done, son. Well done, daughter. You gave it your all. You ran hard. You ran well. You ran consistent. You kept running. Sometimes you fell. Sometimes you stumbled. Sometimes you crawled. But you got back up and you ran. And you ran well. And you finished. Well done. I want to hear those words. I don't want to stand before the Lord this afternoon or 10 years from now or 20 years from now or 30 years from now I don't want to stand before the Lord and hear him say why didn't you run I was knocking I was knocking at the door why didn't you let me in I, Will I wanted to come in I had, I had so much fellowship for you I had so much for you I had everything for you why didn't you run I was there all the time, and you barely looked my way. why didn't you run? no I want to hear Christ say you did well, son you had a lot of you had a you had a lot of reasons not to, but you ran and Paul says then he closes out this lesson for us. He says in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. Maturity there means you got to have a little bit of spiritual depth. You got to have been growing in Christ. See, once you're growing in Christ, you kind of get, I want a little more of this. You kind of get it. Once you, once you spend time in sweet communion with the Savior and then you're not spending time with sweet communion with the Savior, you kind of get it. You're kind of like, well, I want some more of that. And that maturity that Paul is talking about is not chronological age. You can be vastly spiritually immature and be the oldest believer in the room. And you can have a vast amount of spiritual depth and be the youngest believer in the room. It's not chronological age, it's, it's spiritual depth. How, how far have you tasted Christ and wanted more? Paul said, "Let those of us who are mature think this way. In other words, just get after Jesus. Just get after Jesus." Don't let anything else, because you're going to see a lot. You're gonna, you're, and it's going to be tempting. It's going to be tempting. You're going to think, boy, it looks like life is really good for them. And, and you're going you're to miss out on what's best in this life, Christ. So let those who are mature think this way. And if you have any questions, here's what Paul means by this. And if in anything else you think otherwise, if you have questions, if you have struggles, if you have doubts... Along the way, God will reveal that also to you. God will keep speaking. God will keep answering. God will keep showing. God will get you there. God will give you an answer in His time. So, in the meantime, let us hold true to what we have attained and simply press on. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you speak to our hearts? If we are without the Lord Jesus Christ today, would you sweetly, compellingly call us to yourself in sweet salvation that we might surrender everything and cling to Christ today? And if we have started this race, Lord, I pray that you would revive us and renew us and strengthen us today that we might get back on the track And run with all the grace and strength that is within us for that finish line. For that goal. For that prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus for Christ. And why? Well, Good Friday answers that question for us. Because Christ laid hold of us. How can we do anything less than lay hold of him? God, make us those kinds of people. Make me that kind of person. I want to be that kind of person. I I don't, I don't want to care about anything else but that, Lord. I just want to be that kind of person. Father, do your your will among us. Help us to not think about what's next. Help us to not think about this afternoon. Give us just a few minutes, Father, here to deal with you and your, your spirit to speak loudly and clearly. Help us not pass this time swiftly. Give us grace, God. Grace, 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 grace. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.